This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Owen Smith-Taylor is a self-described seed nerd and a seed farmer who loves growing Southern Italian and Irish heirlooms and supporting the community food and sovereignty movement through seed keeping. Chris Bolden Newsom, originally from the Mississippi Delta, is the oldest son of farmers and justice workers Demalda Bolden Newsom and Rufus Newsom Sr. Chris is a fourth-generation free farmer since emancipation in 1865. In 2012, Chris and Owen were married. Together, they co-founded the Cultural Preservation and Rematriation-focused seed company, True Love Seeds. And in 2020, they launched the Seed Story podcast, Seeds and Their People. Chris and Owen joined me in conversation one evening earlier this summer to share more about their journey in seeds and people. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. I would love for you guys to just start and introduce yourselves a little more specifically beyond what I just said and tell us a little bit about how your current relationship professional and personal with plants and seeds. What does that look like right now? And I'm happy to start with whichever one of you wants to to go first. Me? Okay, I'll start. It's Owen. So three years ago, um, I started a seed company, True Love Seeds. After spending four years mentoring under William Woist Weaver, um, who's been caring for his grandfather's seed collection, which was started in the 1930s. For four years, I worked with him and just fell in love with seeds. I've been growing plants since I was a kid in gardens, and um, but only in the last seven or eight years have I really focused on keeping seeds. And so what that looks like day to day is working on my farm out in the suburbs outside of Philadelphia, where we have just half an acre. So it's kind of like a very large garden. Um, that's almost entirely focused on producing seeds um, for for our seed packets that we sell on our catalog. And we all, all of us that work there, at this point, there's many of us and everyone else started as volunteers or apprentices. And we now all focus on our ancestral seed crops. Um, so for me, that involves looking at Southern Italian and Irish varieties and for my coworkers, there's you know they come from their ancestors come from all different corners of the world and so we really focus on what are the plants that nourished the people that you know made it possible for us to be here and for some of us we've that link has never been broken in our families and for people like me um, whose family um, kind of assimilated into kind of white American culture it's a rediscovery of what my people were eating um, before, during, and after they got here to this continent. And so my relationship to plants and seeds is really one of awe and learning. I I spend a lot of time paying attention to the plants in every stage of their life with a focus on, you know, plant health, soil health, ecosystem health, and ultimately helping them propagate themselves and bring them into the future. All right. Well, we'll we'll get more into that a, a, a little bit uh, after we hear from Chris and more about um, his work with plants and seeds at this moment. 
Yeah, so um, first give me honor to God and our, our ancestors. Uh, I'm, I am um, I'm a probably fourth generation uh, farmer in my family, fourth generation uh, free farmer uh, since slavery in my family. Uh, and so I, my relationship, you know, to growing food, um, you know, as I would say seeds, but the growing food, particular, you know, especially I mean, particularly has uh, has been, you know, preceded me. And um, so I, I, I think that like Owen, I come at it from also growing gardens as a child, as a young person, me with my family, uh, you know, my, my dad uh, grew food. My father was a sharecropper uh, and as was his father. Uh, and then eventually they were tenant farmers in, um, in Mississippi, in the Mississippi Delta area where I'm from. So we grew up growing food and grew up, you know, hearing stories about the farming life, even as, as I moved, you know, eventually landing here in Philadelphia. You know, I, I, I've lived in different places and in and, and all of these places I have had some relationship with growing food. I lived in Dallas um, as a young person, Dallas, Texas, uh, and, uh, and I lived uh, most recently in, in uh, DC. And in uh, all of these places, I, I either kept a garden or grew some food or was involved in some way. So I think I've always really kind of taken it for granted. Um, it, 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 I've recognized it as a calling uh, sort of reluctantly. And I think that's one of the things that has um, uh, helped to coalesce um, uh, my work and Owen's work. Um, I work together is, uh, you know, it's this understanding that it feels like more so than I, I didn't choose a profession. So I didn't <laughs> choose, you know, you know, and I know, and I say that because I know that's happening in a lot of ways, and I, I won't disrespect that. However, however, you know, people come to the work, but it did feel very much like, you know, uh, that 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 I was called, you know, by the Creator and by the land, and especially by my people. And and I recognize that when I moved to the north. Oh gosh, two thousand and one. I guess I moved to D.C., which technically is not the north, but I guess. So you know, Northern culture, starting starting on the Northern culture line on the East Coast, uh, you know, where I went to Howard University in the early 2000s. And I started realizing how much of my Southern African-American culture um, I've taken for granted, how much of it, especially around our food ways, you know, our spirituality, these things I assumed were just part of being Black in America, that it was, I kind of made this mistaken assumption that we all were just Southerners in different places, you know, uh, and I and I realized that there were consequences to the migration north that don't get discussed, uh, and you know at least that I didn't see. And, and one of those was uh, you know and it, you know people move many people move to the north, um, fleeing you know just sort of the, the the most naked and and violent forms of white supremacy. And now I, I I don't think that they you know necessarily you know, made it to a place where they were away from white supremacy. Obviously, white supremacy is alive and strong in the North. Uh, and, and this white supremacy of the South could not have been but for the cooperation, collaboration, and financial support of, 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 of the white supremacy of the North. So again, you know, I think it's, it's all that. But, but what I realized is that my, many of my folks that come up and in the process of leaving the trauma around being, uh, you know, around having escaped the South is that many people did not know this great cultural, rich heritage of food ways and medicine ways, 
and spirituality and, and, and everything. I mean, it, it's that it was it was let go of because it was associated with the bad old days. Many yeah. people that I met never learned about their old country. For me, I, I consider it very much like, like an immigrant experience and think of myself and even refer to myself sometimes as an immigrant because I am. This, these were two different countries at one time. Uh, and they already remain so not legally, but, uh, you know, I think culturally in many ways, you know, and I, and I'm not, I don't, I, I want to turn that around, not as a negative, you know, I'm not, I'm not honoring the Confederate States of the, of America here. I'm saying that, 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 that there is a rich culture. And so at Sankofa Farm, where I've eventually, about 10 years ago, you know, embarked on this work with uh, uh, my co-director, Tyler Holmberg, who is a young white man from upstate New York. We both are from, you know, kind of the extremes uh, in terms of the country, in terms of our culture. And we believe that that also is also divinely orchestrated, you know, that these, we have these very different experiences and what was appear to be opposite experiences in the American story that I think helps to balance so the work. So our farm, Sankofa, community farm Sankofa comes from uh, a longer phrase in the, uh, tree language uh, and a kind language of Ghana in West Africa, where many of our ancestors came from and probably most of them had some contact with at some point because of how slavery and, and, and the sort of the market around slavery worked. Um, this phrase, Sankofa, refers to it means going back and get it, going back and getting it, uh, reach back and fetch what you left behind literally is what the, the longer phrase means. And this is a, this is a, a critical and, a, you know, I think uh, a real crucial um, pillar of African-American community for people, you know, who have been over and over and over again, had cultures that they have built and created stripped from them or, 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 or removed sometimes forcibly, um, that this idea of going back and being able to recreate yourself from not out of nowhere, not the American dream, the American experience of going somewhere and looking to the future and starting new and being, it's, it's rooting oneself in, 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 in the common story of one's people and drawing your identity from that as you move into the world with all of its challenges and everything else. And so it's a key part of cultural evolution for the African diaspora and our farm lifts that concept up and we do it and practically as well in many different ways. Uh, Sankofa Community Farm is an African diaspora based farm, uh, spiritually rooted. You know, we are very explicit about the fact that it's a spiritually rooted farm. And that what that means is that when you come on the space, um, you show honor in some way to this space that provides the elements for our life that so much of our community is connected to. Um, we do ritual, uh, we pray, we sing the songs. We also teach people to do that as we are teaching people and reteaching people to grow food and, and to learn to be connected to the processes of agriculture again. And so that's um, that's what Sankofa Farm, and we, we, this gets out into the community of Southwest Philadelphia, which is one of, of the poorest parts of a city that, that has a high poverty rate, you know, and a part of the city that actually kind of is a seat of the African diaspora in terms of numerically, culturally, you know, so it's a very rich Southwest Philadelphia, very rich and, and Af African descended people from all over the world live there, Caribbeans, West Africans, um, more recently Central Africans, Eastern Africans, African-Americans, 
all of it. And so uh, we find our space to be a really beautiful sort of uh, focal point uh, for people to be able to come and get the traditional foods that they grew. You know, we, we grow those foods. We grow the peas. We grow the, the rice, the upland rice that you grow dry. Um, if we don't flood, it's African rice. We grow all of the varieties of greens, you know, the wild African spinach, callaloos. We grow the collards, of course, and the kales. We grow the mustard greens, the turnip greens. We do all of these things. And then we have many programs to, to reintegrate them into the common life of, uh, of, of folks by uh, culture classes, uh, food classes, and community meals that we do regularly. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. We're speaking today with Chris Bolden Newsom and Owen Smith Taylor, co-founders of True Love Seed Company and the Seeds and Their People podcast. We'll be right back for more. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. As I record these words to enter into your ears and heads and hearts and days, It is the day before Election Day here in the United States. As I wrote to Owen and Chris, we of course have no idea what any week is going to look like in advance of it happening. But this week seems particularly fraught with a foreboding sense of unknowing. But the conversation I enjoyed with Chris and Owen, exploring the different aspects of their work and relationship to each other, to plants, seeds and community seemed like really strong medicine to put out into the universe on this particular week. The passion and knowledge as well as the articulation of it by these two humans and their understood and articulate voicing of the importance of stitching back together spirituality with plants and food and our daily lives of integrating more truly our pasts with the present instead of ignoring the past at all of our peril. This seems mighty. I want to pull forward here in case it went by too quickly. Chris's reference to the name and origins and meaning of Sankofa, which he shared with us is a word of the Tui language from the Akan people of Ghana. The word is part of a longer saying, which translates to something like, to go back and get it, or it is not wrong to go back and get something useful, which was left behind. We hear invocations of this in seed keeper Ira Wallace and the Southern Exposure Seed Exchange's motto, saving the past for the future. These are really interesting existential questions for each of us and for us all collectively. Immigrant populations, and most of us are from an immigrant population at one time or another, have always had to ask these questions. Oddly enough, people who live in regions routinely threatened with famine or flood, hurricane or fire, can face these same questions If you have to leave in a hurry, what do you take with you? And what do you leave behind? And with the wisdom of hindsight, of a year, a life, or several generations, what was left behind that would be or could be of great use and service now and for the future? 
As we move ever into our futures, what do you really want to take with you? What do you want to ensure is not left behind? And looking back, what might you consider going back to retrieve and bring forward once more? Several things come to mind for me quite strongly, and they might surprise you given who you know me to be. But among these seeds, I would go back and retrieve and bring forward with greater force and care would be humor and listening and playfulness and compassion, of course, and joy. Joy would be among them. Joy as I trim flowers, cut seeds, compost this year for next year. We're back now to our conversation with Owen Smith-Taylor and Chris Bolden Newsom, co-founders of True Love Seed Company and the Seeds and Their People podcast. As we come back, Chris starts off tracing their history as a couple whose work and lives are called to the restoration and celebration of seeds, of plants, and of people interrelated and interdependent on both. We've been together for a a decade, and uh, we've been married for about seven years. Um, And I'd like to say that our, you know, ancestors arranged our marriage, you know, and in, in, and in a lot of ways, I think our work sort of evolved, uh, you know, with our relationship. You, you know, I think that one of the things that made it, for me at least, and then just, well, I feel like for both of us, you can confirm or deny, but I, that I, I feel like that there was a sense early on that there was something more involved. We weren't just two guys who just randomly met each other and happened to like each other and it grew that it felt like you know a calling a direction I think we felt it acutely and and I think in in the work you know as well as certain understandings about about the world sort of really coalesced beautifully I, I the work that we both both you know did and felt called to at the time I think when we met and and I think it just it just sort of felt you know I don't know the work. The work just sort of came together. I at that time wasn't farming, but as we, I, I eventually did take a farming job and moved back to the East Coast. Um, you know where I ran the farm at Martin Luther King High School for a few years. You know, working with young people in the community to sort of grow food and do a similar. And it, and it began to grow. I think the experiences that we had together in a very real way. And I hadn't thought about it. Thank you for the question. In a very real way, it feels like as as you know as we grew together, these opportunities and relationships that, you know, that grew or sprung up or, or, or that were connected to our own relationship drew us deeper into the ancestral path of the work. And it meant some very different things. Ancestral work for a European is very different than ancestral work for an African, I think, in the American context. It shouldn't be on a human level. But America has messed up so much <laughs> in, in, in those ways, I think, you know, and so or messed it up or made it more challenging, whatever, but made it difficult, you know, for really, really different reasons. Uh, and for us, you know, as Africans in the diaspora, it's that our history was literally erased 
evaporated, you know, and, and, and destroyed, you know, and I think, and, and I think so. So I think so it's really different. And I think that, but I think that we both were led eventually to this ancestral path. And that's, that feels like the root of it. That's the root of it. You know, we have an active spiritual life that though we didn't come from the same spiritual uh, uh, origins uh, originally, you know, I'm a Catholic, African Catholic, um, and my, a lot of my work, including the ritual work and everything is very much connected to that sort of understanding, you know, of the world and, and, and the infused spirit and everything, you know, I think, but I think that we both did share that, whether we'd come from the same, you know, church or religion at, at, at all. And so that was it. And I think everything else feels like for me grew from there, the podcast, and then things just keep being birthed, you know? Right. And so I will say in terms of the genesis of the podcast, you know, it is the fruit of, of our work together, of a lot of our work together and, and just in the relationships. And so it eventually, people, because we talk, we both do a lot of teaching, you know, all yeah. over the country, um, you know, we do teaching. And so eventually I think folks wanted to, you know, uh, have a, have a way to be able to like to hear these conversations and spread it out. And, and so, yeah. So I credit, of course, Owen with knowing, because he knows about the technology. I don't know any, I don't, you know, uh, you know, I'm not not on any social media. I don't know how to use it. So I mean, I think that yeah, that a lot of the genesis of the, of the technical because I just wouldn't have kept teaching, and we just be teaching together, and we teach a lot together as well as individually. But but this is a way to sort of talk and widen the conversation, and yeah. Well, and I I will move now to you, Owen. On that, I think you know one of the things for me, um, and what I am so excited about and intrigued by, compelled by, is if we as a country, as a world, are are plant blind, which by and large we still are, and we are, you know, culturally avoidant in a, a lot of ways, we are seed stupid. Like, if we can't see the plants that are around us, we definitely are not seeing the seed. And the, the magic of the seed and it's just like the incredibleness of how small and how much is packed in there and how necessary that one stage of the plant life is for everything else that comes after and before. I mean, it's the alpha and omega, right? And when I came across your podcast mm -hmm. and the pulling together of everything that is wrapped up in seed so beautifully and, and it's both incredibly complex, but also incredibly simple, that relationship between seeds and people over time and space and culture. So to hear, you know, not just a podcast that's about how to start seed or how to grow seed or how to save seed or like not just the mechanics of this, but the the everything of this, I thought, this is one of the things the world really needs. <laughs> That's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, seed blind. I I definitely agree, and it's it's um it's both heartbreaking and so hopeful because I think people are hungry for this, you know, literally and and spiritually, and. You know, when people come to the farm and you can tell they don't even know what one tool is called or where to look on the plant for a seed, 
but they're so excited to learn. Um, that's really where my hope is and where I like to put my energy. I am fascinated by plants. I always have been since I was a little kid, fascinated by the natural world. And to like meet a new plant, especially if it's a plant that's important to humans. And that's why really where the seeds and their people comes from. A plant that is so essential to what makes us us and what makes home home. Um, I really want to understand how that plant works, how to help that plant make it to the next next generation. Um, so, you know, when I think about it, we've had 10,000 years on this planet saving seeds. Um, you know, people estimate that about 10,000 years ago, I'm sure it's much longer, but this is what we say. Humans started not just foraging for food, but starting to like plant finding those seeds, planting them and cultivating them. And to, to now have a world that we live in that is almost entirely unable to identify where the seed is on a plant is very, I mean, that's our world here. I'm sure that's not true for the whole world. And that's part of why I love meeting and working with various immigrant and refugee communities and, and meeting people who are so uh, connected to the plant world um, that I learn a lot from them. Um, but in terms of our culture here, the one that I grew up in, you know, it's remarkable to people to have this relationship with plants. And I really want to help facilitate that. That's why I work with so many apprentices and volunteers and do so many classes. And, um, you know, the genesis of the podcast, you know, I was thinking about it and I do so much storytelling for us. Seed keeping is as much about the storytelling and culture keeping as it is saving the seeds. And, you know, you can do so much through writing the descriptions on seed packets and websites and Instagram posts and newspaper articles, but you can't ever actually be the person telling their own story unless it's your own story. And so podcast was really a format to actually talk to all the amazing people that we interact with who are seed keepers and have them in their own words, tell their own story about the plants that are most important to them. And so this medium is just really perfect for that. I try really hard to get the stories right, to give the credit where the credit's due, um, to tell the entire story that I know. But when it's actually in someone else's voice telling their own story, it's so much more powerful. And so, you know, I never really listened to podcasts much before getting into this. Um, but when I started listening to them, I realized this is the way to actually keep these stories alive. Um, beyond the face-to-face -face contact, beyond the community events, beyond the, the speed swaps, the, you know, but to be able to archive it, to make it available widely, it's been such an awesome tool. In, in starting it, the cultural connection seems really, really strong to me. And um, maybe talk a little bit about, about that. It is something we just kind of decided to do um, because of the opportunity of interacting with so many incredible seed keepers constantly um, that I actually didn't even create a list initially of who, you know, we're, we're so lucky and blessed to be constantly in community with people um, like our, you know, I visit Kristen Leach's farm once or twice a year when I'm visiting family. Um, so, and she happened to be the first person I interviewed because we had just gotten the equipment. And Mama Ira Wallace from Southern Exposure was visiting our farms pretty soon after that. Um, and so 
it was just a way to take advantage of um, the fact that we get to already hear awesome stories and why not share them with other people. Um, something you were saying, well, two, two thoughts. One, once, once COVID kind of hit and, and people were kind of asked to not go out, um, it corresponded when, with people wanting to buy seeds a lot more than they had been. When you're talking about seeds and their relationship to people, I've been think, ruminating on this the last few days in particular. And, um, you know, the central kind of premise of our seed company is I ask all the people who grow seeds for us, including those of us at our farm, but also all of the 20 or 30 other farms, what seed tells your story and ask folks to focus on their ancestral seeds or regional seeds um, for obvious reasons, but also because it, it immediately imbues their work with these seeds with so much depth and meaning. And my goal is that people aren't just trying on some fun new hobby, but developing a really deep relationship to plants to the point where, you know, it gives meaning for them to seek the seed on that plant, you know, that it's a way to overcome this seed blindness you mentioned um, in a way that's so deeply personal that I'm hoping it's long lasting, not just for their life, but multiple generations. And what better way to do that than this Sankofa moment that Chris is talking about where people are reaching back generations before them. And so I, I think it's a really important point that you brought up and the way that we address this seed blindness has to be really, really um, powerful for it to be effective. And this work with ancestral seeds has, has proven to be, for most people, some people really resist it, but for the most part, it's been um, very powerful for people. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. We're speaking today with Chris Bolden Newsom and Owen Smith Taylor, co-founders of the True Love Seed Company and Seeds and Their People podcast. We'll be right back for more. Stay with us. Okay, so thinking out loud this week, in the tumult that has been 2020, Chris and Owen kicked off Seeds and Their People with five episodes. The podcast has one of the most joyful theme songs I have had the pleasure of listening to. And I love my theme song. But theirs, complete with the shaker sounds of Seeds in Motion, is the perfect musical accompaniment to these stories. Enjoy these first five conversations. And the two have many more episodes in the works coming soon. So stay tuned for these when capacity allows. At the end of our conversation, as you will hear, Chris concludes by saying, May all who hear this conversation be blessed by it and find some way to be connected. And Owen replies, Amen. I enter into every interview conversation I have with a meditation to move us into the space of the interview with open hearts and minds. This is space I consider to be sacred, much like the garden itself, in which I hold another being's voice in mine. But this concluding prayer and blessing offered out by Chris was the most 
perfectly formed verbal seed, encompassing my deepest and greatest hope for every conversation on Cultivating Place. May we all be blessed for the listening, and may the listening help us all find more and good ways to connect. So be it, and let it be so. We're back now to our conversation with Owen Smith-Taylor and Chris Bolden-Newsom, co-founders of True Love Seed Company and the Seeds and Their People podcast. As we come back, Owen starts us off by sharing some of the influences directing his work with seed, one of whom was Rowan White of Sierra Seed and the Indigenous Seed Keepers Network. I was listening to your, a couple of your podcasts earlier today, uh, interviews with our two of my dear friends that you interviewed, Rowan White and Leah Penniman. And Rowan has been a huge inspiration to me. And you talked with her about rematriation. And that's a concept with seeds that has really changed the direction of my work. And when I worked for four years in this private kind of seed collection, that Roughwood Seed Collection with William Moyes Weaver, yeah. He had 4,000 varieties of seeds. And that's really where I fell in love with this whole work. Um, hearing the stories from him, meeting the, all of these amazing seeds connected to so many amazing people. Um, and at the same time, they were living in this room in his house. And most of them were not connected to either of our story. Mm. And it was almost like a museum where the seeds were not with their people. and. You know, at the same time, Chris and I were invited to be part of a seed keepers collective um, of folks up and down the East Coast um, who were called to this work kind of in response to the Indigenous Farming Conference up in northern Minnesota, where there was a call from elders in that right. work to have people go back home and start their own seed keeping groups. Um, and so in that group that Chris and I were part of for a couple of years, um, that's where we were really introduced to the idea of seed stories and seed rituals and seed songs. Um, and that coupled with kind of my getting to know Rowan and the people in her constellation and the focus on how do people's seeds get back to them. That is really what made me want to start True Love Seeds and work with community gardens, urban farms, rural farms, on returning to their seeds. And so, you know, her concept of rematriation, getting seeds back to the tribes that they came from, from museums and from other collections, kind of expanded for me to be, think about, how do I start a seed company that's not selling other people's seeds and telling other people's stories, but people stewarding their own seeds and stewarding their own stories. So for me, that's kind of connected back to this concept of rematriation. Um, that kind of altered the the course of my life, really. I love it. And what about for you, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I would say, I, mean, I think all of this also true as well for me. I think, but the my work at Sankofa, I think, is um, the direction that it's taken has largely been in response to the very specific story of of African Americans. Um, you know, Southern descended African-Americans in, in the North, you know, and I think that 
you know, again, like I said earlier, I think the, the idea of rematriation for us has meant literally having to talk about with our community members things that, that are still, wounds that are surprisingly still fresh. And then fresh or for which people have little to no context. I mean, Africans in general are, tend to be, and I, I can say this, you know, I think uh, with a lot of confidence, tend to be a very spiritually rooted people, spiritual people. No matter, it's one thing that's, one of the things that in okras, you know, is uh, something that we have in common all around the planet, you know, and thinking that, think, I don't think that's, that's any coincidence. I think it comes very much from an African cosmology. And, and, I, and I'm, when I'm saying African intentionally here, you know, um, writ large, you know, things that are common throughout the continent. It's only, it's only, it's just as there were things that were common throughout the North American experience uh, pre-contact. And, you know, and so for us, a lot of it has been just talking to people, to encouraging people to find out how they got here. And so the field becomes this space where folks are able to reconnect by recreating, you know, as much of their story as they can. It's different now. African-Americans in Philadelphia, Philadelphia has a very uh, large uh, black Muslim population, for instance. So there are, there are even that in itself means because there are dietary rules that come with Islam um, that, that they did not have in the South um, when their ancestors were largely Christian or practiced some blending of Christian and traditional African um, religions, you know? And so it means having to, to figure out what were these foods and how do I use them now? How do I employ these foods and these medicines and these practices in my current reality? You know, I think what the seed keepers gathering and collective that we belong to, um, what that really did for me in a real way was to put the focus on the seeds as opposed to just their products, you know, just the idea of, you know, we have, we have to preserve culture. We have to, you know, find it, we have to go back and fetch it and reassemble it. We have to remember ourselves, you know, literally put our, our members back together, um, you know, but that that happens, you know, in with this beautiful focal point of the seed, you know. So I think that the seed then becomes metaphor and it becomes text for our story and it becomes a sacred ob object, you know, and I think so. So the understanding of it as a sacred object was something I always I, I think I always had. But to see it as the focal point of what of 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 how we carry this culture. Um, I that was that that's that has been something I think that has evolved with uh, our relationship, Owen and I. And, and I. and one last thing I'll say about that is that that the reality that the seeds you know sort of contain this story, and then we have to sort of find it. It it it's very hopeful in my case as African American, um, you know, migrated to the north that you know, for my brothers and sisters here, that if they have a black IP or a crowd of PC, then they have half of, of this part or great piece of who they were. They just now have to find the story and there's always somebody, hopefully, if you were fewer now, but there's always somebody who can help to piece together and put that seed in a context and tell you how they ate it and tell you what they did with the leaves and tell you when they ate it tell you stories about growing up with, you know, all of this, you know, you, there's someone to enflesh it, you know, or inspirit it rather. And so to me, then the seed becomes sacrament in that way. It becomes this sort of visible sign of, of, a, of a spiritual reality, you know? And so 
that that for me was different. I grew up watching my father pray over seeds. They all prayed over seeds. We prayed over everything. We blessed everything, but they would pray over seeds. And I remember him holding them in his mouth, which I'm doing as we're talking right now. I'm, I'm infusing some crowd of pea, oh, actually some purple whole pea seeds that came out a wonderful brown color that I would, they would call them mutations, aberrations, and I love it. And I'm gonna plant them out. You know, so I saw these things, but there wasn't this, there wasn't a context for, for them that sort of pulled them out as what we were able to carry, you know. And so I'm really grateful, really grateful for that. You know, one of the things that I have become so much more aware of are some of the complexities around just the finding and tracing and this rematriating of seed and how it is connected to seed policy in the United States. And so how does seed policy and seed law interface with your work? Well, I, I have to follow the seed laws as a seed company, and we do. And we do. Their current, you know, iteration is is luckily not too hard to follow um, as a seed company. A few I mean, several years ago, Pennsylvania kind of reinterpreted the seed law, and suddenly all the seed libraries were shut down. All the seed swaps were stopped because they were considering them to be seed companies basically asking them to follow the same stringent rules that we have to follow as seed companies and that we can sort of afford as seed companies. And we were, I had just moved to Philly and I was loosely part of a coalition at the time of people who were working to get the Department of Agriculture in Pennsylvania to change their interpretation or at least, yeah, their interpretation, if not the law. Um, And they were successful. And now we run seed swaps here again in Philadelphia with the public library. Um, so those are that's about the extent of it, though, um, in terms of, you know, our involvement with seed policy. It's been prohibitive in some ways, and, and we've been able to organize um, in, in coalitions to kind of make what we want to happen happen. And when you say as a seed company, you have to follow the seed law, can you give a, listeners a sense of what, what you're talking about when you say that? Oh, sure. So the Seed Act, it requires that we label our packages in a certain way, that we use certified laboratories to germination test our seeds, that they each species meets a minimum federal you know, standard for germination, things like that. So... They're, they're really to protect the consumer, and I completely understand them. Um, and it feels pretty easy to follow those rules as a seed company. It's just part of the operating budget and the time that we spend. Is, you know, it's been all affected by the pandemic in that most of the Department of Agriculture seed labs, at least the ones I'm connected to, have shut down um, at least for a couple months. And um, if that had happened a couple months earlier, it would have been very difficult for seed companies to operate um, without being able to get their seeds tested. Yeah, there's so much complexity there. but And most seed companies are sold out of a, a great many things in any case, um, which I think is a really important lesson for growers, gardeners, new gardeners, old gardeners to pay attention to because seed availability and seed security is, um, I don't think something that was on a lot of people's minds, but it should be. And um, maybe this will help with that as well. It is a wake up call, I think, um, 
so much of what's going on right now hopefully will make us you know yeah yeah reevaluate re, uh, re and and not have a rush to get back to normal because normal is an awful state that got us to where we are um but i think you know in saying that i come i think i come at it just from my position just as as african and living in the americas i i i assume um you know that i will have to take care of myself that my community will have to fend for itself somehow as you know that that needs to always be something that we are always prepared for i come at this because i you know again i come from people who have been moved around uh you know against their will several times or forced out you know and i think about my my family according to lisa the genetics test says that it, we originated in virginia i mean after africa you know and so and we're pushing and I've, so I've read the stories the brutal stories of how slavery moved from the east coast to the west and how people were marched and walked from virginia you know um drugged and drunk uh all the way you know by the way in, in order to keep folks from fighting or, or or any of that so so you know just knowing that and knowing that that these were the conditions under which we created a life from which we created a life, you know, what we never were supposed to or expected to. And so there's always been surveillance in my community and amongst my people over what we do. Farming has been one of the few areas where we've been able to manage and take care of ourselves. Even during slavery, growing your own food was generally something that was overlooked by, you know, the, the power structure. And so I, I, I do, it feels doubly important to me for, because I think many African-Americans, especially well, all over, even back home in the South now, but especially in the North, I think, have not, have, have sort of assumed the general identity, assimilating into the, you know, the, the general sort of thinking that that this isn't important and that it's something that if it ever becomes important, there's somebody who will be there to take care of us. And, you know, that is, um, that is counter to our cultural story, I think. And so for me, the keeping of seeds and the keeping of their stories is is so vital and, I, and we continue to encourage people and teach people with workshops. Owen comes out and does regularly work, regular workshops in our community uh, of Southwest Philly. Um, you know, and I do workshops and we teach people on the farm and on the job to continue to save these seeds and identify them and know what's the best, the best way to harvest and when to harvest them and how to prepare them and all of that just for our own future, you know, I think. And, and, I, and, I, and I'll, I'll put a point on that in that the, one of the things that inspires me for that is that, um, you know, many African-Americans, I would say maybe even all over the Americas, I don't know where I came from, grew up hearing the story about um, the woman who put the seeds in her child's hair. Uh, and that these seeds were the seeds from home that folks brought with them. And, you know, and that story, you know, is true in different ways in different places. That is what sort of inspires me that this has always been important to our survival. And when um, uh, when our ancestral mothers did not know where we were going or if we would make it or what would happen to us when we were there, that the seed was this link and, and gift, you know, and sort of rope back home as well as, you know, sort of the last and most precious thing that, 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 that they could give um, their child. You know, I, I am not very concerned about whatever the laws and however they will change if they have anything to do with, with uh, you know, if they're in any way interfering with the sovereignty of my community. You know, we, we are a food sovereignty based organization and a seed sovereignty 
declared organization. And so that will always come first, whatever laws change. I just hope that that same fervor that people might have been feeling while ordering cartloads of seeds, mm-hmm. um, I hope, first of all, that all those seeds make it to the soil. I mean, and also that they, that same fervor is there when it's time to save seeds this year. You know, that people are out there watching for the seeds and ready for them and knowing when to harvest them and, and how to store them so that we don't have to panic in the future when something like this comes up. I think it's yeah. so it's so easy to save seeds. I mean, it's a skill set that's been lost, but it's so easy to regain it um, if people just know where to look. There's a lot of resources out there, a lot of elders, a lot of books, a lot of online resources. And so, and the biggest, the most, the best teacher is the plants themselves. Like really, they, they tell us what we need to know. I would love for each of you to share one or two of your favorite seeds and, and why they are special to you, both as a physical being and as a symbol of something else. Well, Chris is pointing at the five fava beans that I'm kind of holding here. Um, <laughs> I, a, a tradition that I learned from Chris is, you know, when we were looking to buy a house, we would carry fava beans in our pockets or our wallets um, and uh, pray to St. Joseph. And I was just before this call looking at potential new farmland here in the neighborhood, because unfortunately I have to find new, new land after this year. Um, and so kind of looking to St. Joseph for help with that via the fava bean, um, which happens to be, you know, the, one of the ancestral beans of my people as well, whether we're talking about the Southern Italians or the folks from the British Isles in Ireland. Um, you know, one seed story that came up recently for me, a man wrote to me through our website. Uh, well, let me start further back. I, I, um, on my way home from the farm, I love to get pizza. Pizza is one of my favorite foods. And I was so pleased in the last few years to, when it dawned on me that it was actually my ancestral food and um, that it's from the Naples region of, of Italy where my great grandmother's from. And so when I was passing Napoli pizza and pasta on the way home, I stopped in and mentioned to the owner, you know, that my people were from where he's from and, and that I'm a farmer. And he got really excited because he's an avid gardener and he started showing me all these pictures on his phone. He took me out back to his garden behind the restaurant. And he's like, you have to grow the frying pepper, the pepperoni. Um, Fariello. And so I tracked it down. I found seeds of it um, and started growing it. And now it's one of our favorite peppers at the house here for frying up with um, San Marzano tomatoes and basil. And um, it's so good. And so in my description online, I mentioned my great grandmother, Rose Loriello, or Lorella, once she got here. And and this guy wrote to me a couple of weeks ago or a few, maybe a month ago and said, um, I love how you talk about your grandmother. You, he's like, because you talk about your grandmother this way, I want to send you some seeds from Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's this Italian living in Southern Connecticut where my Italian ancestors first moved. Oh. Um, and so he sent me these, these eggplant seeds that he got from a little island, someone who was from a little island off of um, Southern Italy. And he just couldn't speak any higher of them. Um, and so now they're in my high tunnel and they're growing. And, they're, you know, I got him in a little late because he wrote to me a little late. But I think this year I should still be able to get, you know, fruit and seeds from them. Um, but that's just kind of the way that these stories kind of multiply. 
um, you know, and connects me to my great grandmother who came over here so long ago to Southern Connecticut and whose people worked in the, the, the textile mills. And now many generations later, I'm growing, you know, this pepper from her region. And then because of that, this eggplant from her region and connected to these two Italian men who, you know, I don't have a lot of Italian men in my life. It's been a couple generations removed. Um, I think they'd probably like it if I could speak Italian and be a little more culturally similar to them. But I, I know that they're very excited to connect with me anyway about these plants that they love. And so it's been cool to build these relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, I mean, I could tell you a hundred stories, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) One, one thing, um, in, in, so in, in Southern, at least in Mississippi, um, you know, in some parts of Mississippi tradition is to keep uh, a black IP in your wallet or in your purse, you know, and this is, um, maybe maybe all over the black south and maybe in the world and so keeping so walking with certain seeds certain sacred seeds has been a custom that i have taken on um i keep some type of black ip with me but then i started carrying other seeds too you know almost as power objects you know um that's maybe that's not the right word but sort of this connection you Mm. know of uh objects and and which did help me to gain power. Whenever we speak, we always speak with a bag of our seeds. Um, generally, when we teach, we always take our seeds with us. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so there's that ancestral connection so that our old folks will be walking with us and talking with us and through us, um, you know, when it's, when it's important um, as we're giving these lessons. So that's one custom that I keep as well, keeping these, uh, keeping them with me at all times so it's supposed to bring you money or at least keep you from being broke at home there's lots of association with prosperity and black eyed peas and you know because black eyed peas would represent literally the eye of god in many african cultures you know they said they were used to fill in the holes in in some of the famous mosques in uh in in west africa so they're they're pretty important and uh, i like to honor that and eat them too we eat a lot of them (laughs) Oh, well, I just really appreciate both of your time and I thank you very much for being a guest on my program and I am very much looking forward to many more episodes of uh, Seeds and Their People. Thank you so much for having us on. So great to talk to you. Thank you so much. And may everyone who hears this be blessed and find some way to be connected. Smith Taylor and Chris Bolden Newsom are culture keepers, supporting the community food sovereignty and seed sovereignty and security movements through seed keeping and community building. The couple are co-founders of True Love Seed and the Seeds and Their People podcast. Chris is also co-founder of the Sankova Community Farm at Bartram's Garden, also in Philadelphia. Join us again next week when we continue our Seed Change series with Naomi Frega, Director of Conservation Programs at the California Botanic Garden, dedicated to the rich biodiversity of the native plants of California. 
Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and listeners supported through CultivatingPlace.com. For many photos of the amazingly beautiful and storied seeds in the lives of Chris and Owen, head over to CultivatingPlace.com this week, where you can also subscribe to the podcast. If our world needs a sea change on a variety of levels, let a seed change be among those. Seeds are powerful forces for change. Plant good ones. Our show producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. 